Our text is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, page 1822 in the Bibles. I probably shouldn't say Ephesians 5 is our text, it's our scripture. Our text is the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, as applied to mass murders. I will suggest that you and I are wise to address the word of the Lord in that context of mass murders all over the place. And there's so much anger and lack of forgiveness and desire for revenge out there that this is one of the texts that's relevant for you to be aware of, to be able to speak when you can to the issue of the mass murder. So we'll read these verses. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may be, have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. These the very words of God. God says you shall not murder. Let's talk about the subject of mass murders or shootings. I'll use the phrase mass murders, even though not all shootings accomplish the purpose of murder. First mass murders briefly, and then the common suggestions to stop them. And then a third and fourth point that are more important. Now, first mass murders. The quick questions and answers, who, what, when, where, how, why, to answer a couple of them. Who does it? Most of them, well, all of them are men. Most of them young men in their teens or 20s. The exception was a mass murderer in Las Vegas a while back who was in his 60s. Be good to ask why young men. I don't know any biological reason. It's like the problem of uh, anorexia bulimia. That one you probably have heard of. People who won't eat and get too skinny and some of them die. 95% of them were women and nobody could figure why biologically. What's going on? There's some social factor, pressure at work with anorexia. There's some social factor or pressure or problem going on with young men today. 
And that's not what we're going to deal with, but it should be dealt with. Most of them come from broken homes and are seeking something. Now, why do they do it? There's always a lot of anger towards some group, whether it be school, businesses, races, ethnic groups, whatever. That's all I want to say about the problem because you've all heard of it, you hear of it a lot. Suggestions to stop it or reduce it, there are many out there, such as better anti-mass murder education in the schools, ha-ha, and they won't let you say you shall not murder in the schools, public schools anyway. And, um, yeah, arm public school teachers, blame the NRA, that went out of San Francisco recently. I don't know how that'll stop them, but San Francisco apparently thinks their solution of blaming will. But there are two big suggestions out there, and the second I'm going to mention is the biggest. The first of the two biggies is repeal the Second Amendment of our Constitution Bill of Rights, which reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that word infringed is about as strong a word as they could have used, meaning all times, all conditions, all people. The second solution out there is what I will call Second Amendment limitations. Some people are so up in arms about the right to bear arms because some kooks commit mass murders that they say things like establish a national register of high-risk offenders, do background checks, deny guns or at least AK-47s or AR-15s, repeat rifles to potential offenders. Okay. That's all about point number two. I want to move on to three and four and have more time with them. But we're going to now ask two more questions. Should Christians give biblical input into stopping and or reducing the number of mass murders? And I'm going to answer that question with a resounding yes in a minute. And then the second question is this. What can Christians say and do to stop and or reduce or at least put the word of God into the problem of mass murders? Sermons should be practical, and so we're going to try to get practical, especially with that last point. But before going on to the third and fourth points here, here's a story that I hope will guide us the rest of this sermon. I used to be the pastor in the Sully, Iowa Christian Reformed Church from 1985 to 1991. North of Sully, there's a river with the delectable name the Skunk River, the North Skunk River. And one day there was a problem on the North Skunk river. Fish for about a mile or so on the river were leaping up out of the water as if they were grasping for air. 
which is funny. Fish get their oxygen through their gills in the water. And also there were fish and other river creatures leaping on the shore as if they were grasping for air. Now what's the solution? I suppose people could have dumped wagon loads, round wagons that uh, contain uh, a large amount of stuff, of clear water, pure water, into the river. It might have done some good, but not much. The real problem the authorities discovered, and when people started gawking at this site, the authorities were called in national, what was it, I forget the name of it, uh, over there in Iowa. But the authorities came in and they looked for the problem that appeared downriver. They looked for it upriver. And what they found upriver was that a farmer had taken his pig manure, and some of you who have farm background will be able to picture this sort of thing. They put pig manure in great big huge wagons that held thousands of gallons of liquid manure. And they were supposed to spread it on their fields by certain formulae. But in this case, the farmer had backed up his spreader of pig manure to the river, opened the back hatch, and put the pig manure in the North Skunk River. Now, the North Skunk River stunk all right because that manure stinks, but the manure is also oxygen-less, and so therefore worthless for fish to breathe, and worse than oxygen-less, it is poison to fish. And so therefore there was a big problem for a mile, or I think it was even two miles, before a lot of diluting happened. Well, the farmer received a hefty fine and uh, I think a suspended prison sentence even for that great big no-no. But the reason that you're hearing this story this evening is that when we deal with the problem of mass murders, we can deal with the problem downriver and try to apply our little solutions and also try to make great big political theater out of our proposed solutions. That's going on in your world. But what you will not hear in public discussion, indeed cannot hear, because it's verboten, a few of you Dutch people will understand that word, it's forbidden in public to talk about the upriver solution, which is God's solution to the problem. And that's where you Christians come in, and that's why I will preach a sermon like this. The real problem, or the, the, the problem of mass murders, the real solution, or at least the way to reduce, is to look to God for help, listen to God for his help, and speak the word of the Lord into our culture about the problem, rather than these downriver solutions being the only thing. And of course, the downriver solutions are going to cost billions and trillions of taxpayer dollars, too. So, in a sense, the problem has arisen 
in the last, what, 50 years or so, even though there have always been mass murders. And mass murders are a small variety of something we've had a lot of in the 20th century, and that is things like trying to kill all the Jews and stuff like that. But, yeah, I've told you about the fact, maybe I haven't, I mention it. When I was in kindergarten, I had to walk one, point, one mile to Whitney School, and it wasn't dangerous. Nobody was going to shoot me. Nobody was going to molest me. Fall, winter with a winter coat, when it rained with a raincoat. My kids poked fun at me. They said, yeah, Dad, we know you had to walk to school 1.1 miles uphill both ways. <laughs> but that's the way it was, and it was safe to do in those days. What's happened? I would say that a very general answer is that the word of the Lord has been stopped in American culture. Look, we've had things like no commandments posted in the public school. No God talk about the Christian God, at least in the public schools. Abortion, uh, murder of the unborn, okayed in 1973, and on and on. Something has happened in our culture that brought us to today's mass murder problem gradually, over a long time. And you're not going to solve it overnight. What we need is God back in our culture in appropriate ways. Now, I've got to get on to the third and fourth points of the sermon. The first two were the problem and the suggested downriver solutions. Now, next, should you as Christians, you and I, should we address problems like mass murders with God's input? And to that question, I'm going to say absolutely yes. It isn't done much, but it should be. And there's various reasons why it should be. One is that... Uh, Sermon on the Mount teaching, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. That means you are like salt that's needed for life. When I worked in a greenhouse when I was young, we had to take salt pills because it was over 100 degrees in that summer work every day in the summer. And if you get low on salt, you'll die. You have a blood test, and if you're low on sodium chloride, the doctor will mention that. You need salt to live. But you are the salt of the world. You are the life of the world you live in. And salt attracts. Eat salty food, you get thirsty. You can try to make people thirsty for God. Salt preserves, like beef jerky, which is dry beef with salt. You can preserve your culture with God's upriver solution. And salt flavors like when you pour it on food. Jesus calls us to be salt-like flavor in our culture. To preserve and to be attractive and to give life to it. You're not unimportant in culture even though they tell you to keep your religion to yourself. Further, you're like light. Light reflects like sunlight 
off the moon, you see the moon, you see reflected sunlight. You can reflect God's light in your culture. Light leads, like in those little lamps, they have those oil, oil lamps or foot lamps. God calls you to lead the way in your culture. Light shines. Your culture needs to hear you shining for God. And light guides. You can say, thus saith the Lord, to the problems out there, including mass murder. Yes, we can address the problem as God's people. We're salt and light. There's also the lordship of Christ. Christ is Lord over every dimension of culture, even the world. He's still Lord. I don't know if I've told you, Reverend Gorder, I so much appreciate him saying it in a sermon once. He says that familiar saying, make Christ Lord of your life. It's a bad saying. Christ is Lord. And the call to us is not to make him Lord. God has done that. Triune God has. The call to us is to submit to him as Lord. And God is also Lord of the whole culture in the United States. You can remind people of that. Actually, what I'm talking to you about now was the big issue in the New Testament. Jesus Christ the Lord. This morning we talked about Christ. Lord means ruler. The Bible says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of God. See, lordship is about doing, obeying, submitting. And the early Christians would not submit, not even once a year, to the required sacrifice, a pinch of incense to Caesar, with the confession, Caesar is Lord. It's all they had to do. But they said no for the most part. Jesus is Lord over all of life, including Caesar. And he's Lord today, too, over government, over politicians, over public talk, and anything and everything else. The First Amendment of your Constitution gives you the right to speak, about your religion, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. There are a lot of people who want to silence you and your religion to only that which happens within the walls of your church and on Sunday. The fact is our Constitution, if rightly interpreted, gives you the right to practice your religion during the week, to speak it, and to address Christianity to the problems we face in our nation. And I'm going to add one more thing here. We're talking at some length and depth about should we address the problem of mass murders. Some of you have heard the name James Scott of Dort College, an excellent writer. When our children were at college there, he wrote a book or a play it became that was acted out on. A couple of our children were actors in it called Pies, Docks, and Kites. 
Only a good writer would think of that. Pies meant not that sweet food you eat for dessert, but pietist. Docs meant doctrinalists. And Kipes meant those who had the Kyperian worldview that Christ should influence all of culture. Now, a lot of the earlier immigrants were pietists, and many of you are from that early immigration. Doctrinalists, that's where I tend to be, and I grieve that our people don't want to know Reformed doctrine better. That's a deep hurt to me, and I tend to think that's the cause of decline and deterioration in our churches. And then there are kites, those who want to influence culture in the name of Christ. Uh, what you want is balance in all three of those. That's a healthy thing, see. Now, I had a pietist once, very smart man. He went through Calvin Engineering, University of Michigan, doctorate. He was suspicious of the kites. He, wanted, he says to me once, and why do all these kites end up being influenced by culture instead of influencing culture? I said, Lamb, that's a good question. I don't know the answer, but... I know it's not supposed to be that way, but see, you want to be pietist, religion of the heart, doctrinalist, solidly reformed, and then you will go out from Monday to Saturday, and that's where you apply your pietism and your doctrinalist, uh, reformed doctrine, in the culture in which you live. Now, we have to move on, so I will, but we've answered the question, should we? speak the word of the Lord in our culture to a problem like mass murders. Now, the next question, the last point is, what can we say and do? And that's where I want to get very practical. What can we say or do to reduce, stop or reduce mass murders, or at least to address the situation as our God addresses it? reflecting his light in our culture. Now, the first thing, I've got four answers here that I hope you can take with you as take-home points. First, be biblical, wise, and winsome. Got to be biblical. Psalm 119, 98 to 99, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Bring the word of the Lord to bear. You've got to know the word of the Lord to do it, and I grieve again at the biblical ignorance on the part of so many church people. But be biblical and be wise. Today's culture is getting more and more like pagan culture and New Testament times, and the book of Proverbs, the Bible book of wisdom, isn't all that functional these days. But Jesus once said to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Matthew 10, 16. You probably won't get anywhere as God's people if you try to Address problems like a bull in the china shop. In fact, you could make an argument that that approach has just caused more of that in our culture today if you were so inclined. You need to be wise. 
biblical, wise, and winsome. Now, here's a couple of practical suggestions toward being wise and winsome. The first comes from Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson, who I admired very much in his later years. After his prison stance, he became a kite, to use words I used earlier, or kyperian. He talked every so often about what he called the political illusion that the federal government can solve all problems. During our president's recent visit to Dayton, Ohio, some protesters cried out, do something, do something. All right, that's a cry that has sounded often in history. They said it to Hitler about German inflation, and he sure did something all right. Anarchy situations almost open the door to totalitarianism. Is that what we really want? But do something, do something is a cry for help. And in Colson's way of thinking, and I think he's biblically right here, the government, whatever it does, can only do something downriver. The government isn't God. God is more needed in the culture than anything else. Maybe we can establish registers of potential offenders. Of course, almost none of them who've done the mass shooting so far would have fit that category. And it'll cost us billions upon billions of dollars with bureaucrats and bureaucracies and lists and all of that, all taxpayer expense. But again, in public, all you can hear is the downriver solution, not God's word. You shall not murder and handle your anger right and that sort of thing. And we're talking about being biblical, wise, and winsome. <laughs> and I'm going to give you something from Oprah Winfrey that I agree with or half agree with, which is rare. I seldom agree with her. She said in a recent interview, I think what people are missing is a core moral center. Churches used to do that. It was a central place you could come to, and there was a core center of values about a way of living and a way of being in the world. She added, we Americans need to embrace a moral center or we will continue to be lost, unquote. And that is part of the problem, moral center. The reason I only half agree with her is whose morality? We need God's morality, and she's assuming it. That's different than the morality of a radical Islamic jihadist or other group, see. We need God's morality. That's what's gone in culture, but she sort of senses it. One more quote, then we'll move on. We're still talking about speaking wisely to our culture. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said recently, we have devalued life in this country. We threw God out of the school. We have families that are broken apart, no fathers at home. We have incredible heinous violence in video games, two hours a day in front of many eyes, many hours a week and no hours in church by a lot of people. 
And we stand here and wonder why this happens to certain students. The majority of mass murderers are young men. There's wisdom there, see. And you've got to go out and be wise in your own ways with the people and situations God gives you to speak the word of the Lord to. That's what I'm asking of you this evening. That's a lot, but you can do it. That, well, that first, be biblical, wise, and winsome. Second is expect criticism and opposition. Romans 8, 7 describes unbelievers well. It says they're hostile. It says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Hostility to God and God's law has become so common in our culture that we've got a whole rift of problems, including mass murders. Now, third, ask good questions. That you can do. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. You can, for instance, well, if you're one of those who doesn't want the Second Amendment to be withdrawn, you can ask questions like, do we really want one of our Constitution's Bill of Rights to become a Bill of Wrongs? Or you can ask questions like this. Will limiting the right to bear arms on the part of some people be an infringement that the second commandment forbids? Or will a register that wouldn't have caught most current mass murderers really catch future ones and at what cost? So you can ask questions. But I don't want to go on with the amendments because I certainly don't want to get political. You can also say things like this. God says you shall not murder. Why do we be, are we dealing with so much murder out there? Do we need the word of the Lord spoken more in our culture so that it can be salt and light to the culture? See that? I want to go slow right now because I want you to think, trying to give you a model way to think for yourself. You can ask questions like, is the real problem not guns? They don't fire their own shakers. But the rampant godlessness out there, you can ask that. You can say, Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do we need to hear that more in culture? Do you ever hear that from the political aspirants, which you don't? You can say, is the real problem maybe family breakdown because most mass murders, if not all, are fatherless in the sense of absent father, young men espousing some hateful, murderous, nihilistic, extremist, angry position. You can say things like, with the question, the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Have we become, 
and ex existential, meaning this existence only that's paid attention to, materialistic, existential, materialistic culture, as if money and material can solve all of our needs and more and more money and material can solve all problems. We're an empty culture and sometimes we feel it after we buy stuff. And you can go on and on. You can say, the Bible says people were made in the image of God. If we teach evolution that your ancestors are a nothing who became a something, who became a piece of dirt, who became a germ, and here you are an advanced germ. Think maybe that encourages murdering others? Now, I got to stop here. I'm out of time. And you've got some suggestions, but I want to summarize again. The word of the Lord addresses all of life including all those problems you're going to hear about on the news tomorrow evening and including mass murderers. And you, God's people, are able to speak the word of the Lord, which is the upriver solution to all the downriver solutions you hear in a culture that doesn't want to talk about God. Dear Christian people, you are important. And you as God's representatives are important in the world in which you live. Don't let anyone silence you when you speak on behalf of your God and act in his name. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you have the upriver answers and may we your people speak those answers to the problems in our world amen